0: We are, all right, I'm gonna switch to my palm um, mic. Okay, we are uh, continuing a class we started a couple months ago. And Lord willing, uh, we're, we're gonna, depends on how far we get tonight, but I uh, may wrap this class up um, next Wednesday. If we don't get it next Wednesday, we'll finish up the following Wednesday, Lord willing. And um, most of the rest of this class is gonna be based on what, what all we've talked about for the last couple months. What does that mean for us? You know, what, what kind of practical things? And I'm going to spend some time tonight, Lord willing, talking to uh, those in our class who are parents and um, kind of some implications that I see for you and you've probably thought of others as we've gone through this. We talked about changing cultural trends. Just a just quick recap. Um, we, we focused a little bit of our time on Gen Z, Generation Z, uh, because of their, uh, their numerical strength, their power... Uh, their cultural influence and power, and how that's going to increase in the coming days as they, as they get hold of, of the range of power. And they're already starting to, their influence is starting to be felt. So, what we see in their convictions about truth and about religion and about, uh, about the world, the nature of the world, the nature of humanity, and so on, what we see in them, uh, that's going to grow. I mean, it's just inevitable that it's going to grow. And so, when we think about that, we, we try to reflect as, as families and churches. About what that ought to mean to us, and so that that is what we're uh, that's what we're talking about in the class, in a little bit different kind of class, you know, just thinking about cultural changes and how that might impact the work of the church here, and also how you parent if you're a mom or a dad, raising your kids, you know, what what kind of implications there are for that. So I want to finish up tonight by where we were where we left off last week. Just talk about a couple more things that are going on in the world, and then we're going to segue from that into thinking with us as parents, and then we may not finish that tonight, or we may finish that and get ready to speak to us as a church, and if so, uh, whenever we get ready for that, we'll do that probably next week. So there are a couple more things that I think I ended on a kind of a down note last week, which which was that last slide. I don't have slides tonight, but the last slide that I put up last week was 42% of all atheists in America are under the age of 30, if I remember that. I know it's 42%, I think the age was 30. And so that's kind of a downer, isn't it? I mean, you think about the trends, what's that, what does that mean for the future if that trend holds? And that's a, little bit, that's a little bit scary for cultures, you know? And we can certainly look at Western Europe and we can see that that's the direction we seem to be going, as far as you know. You guys have traveled, you've read about, you know, England, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, uh, the Netherlands and so on in Western Europe. Um, there are its just amazing, it's always been amazing to me. I don't know, it's always been interesting how, how things change. And, what, and what's happened in America, I'm not saying we just follow along necessarily behind in every way but there, there, there are ways in which you can look at Europe, you can see how things are, and often the, the kind of worldview that we have in America mimics that. We're just a few years behind, and so they've become increasingly secular, and we're doing the same thing. So we've talked about a lot of things. I want to I end that, this part of it by talking to you about a a couple more characteristics that we need to be aware of. And one of them, this is, this is more of a positive thing, I think. It's not all positive, but I think there's a positive way of thinking about it. And that is that among many younger people now, there, is, there's, there, are, there are pieces of evidence that suggest that people are looking for something beyond what the world can give them. And the way that plays out in our society is that when people abandon, when like this generation that's grown up in many ways without church, without—I know that's an overgeneralization, this broad brush, and all that—but um, Gen Z is one that has not had the kind of church experience that previous generations had. They have been detached, if, if connected at all. It's been a very loose connection for the most part, the majority, okay? So what that, what that creates is this void, a, a place where people used to go to find an explanation of the nature of the world and why we do what we do and what is right and what is wrong, what gives your life meaning, what gives you your identity, that has been yanked out from under them with obvious exceptions for kids that grow up in a, you know, in our congregation, for example, or other churches like ours, you know, there are a lot of exceptions to that. But just generally speaking, majority of them have grown up without the kind of raising connected to a church, being taken to Sunday school, taken to vacation Bible school or whatever, having some sort of church involvement. When that is yanked out from under you, You have to go somewhere else to find meaning and identity. And you you look to something else to fill that void. And so what you see happening is that even though that number I gave you I think is accurate, about the 42%, that atheism is is increasing, especially among the younger folks. But that's not all hopeless because that, that generation is starting to realize that not just Gen Z, but those younger millennials and so on, and other people who have turned to secularism, are starting to realize that the answers that the secular, godless world gives are not fulfilling. And so what, that ha- what happens then is that many, many people who would say they don't believe in God or they're not sure that God exists are looking for something and they're not turning away from the possibility that there are spiritual forces out there. So what you see, one thing that you see, and this this sounds negative, but I think it kind of points to something hopeful, and that is you see a rise in the occult um, among younger generations, a rise in the, you know, looking to the occult. There are, there's a substantial number, substantial percentage of Gen Z folks who believe in uh, ghosts and demons and possession, and they, they believe you, know, you can go to your bookstores and you'll see tarot cards and you'll see these various things, and that trend is going up. Now, that's pretty negative, I guess. I mean, I don't, I don't mean that's a positive thing. Only that when, when that increases, it points to something that's underlying that I think can give us hope. And that is that when, when people turn, when, when they don't have the church and they don't have the influence of, of religion to help them sort through the difficulties of life and help them find meaning and identity, they're going to look to something. Many people have looked to secularism. They've looked to, you know, science. They've looked to, uh, you know, philosophy. They've, they've looked to money and power. Of, all sorts of things, but what they inevitably find is that they're not, they're not fulfilling, right? And so there is this quest for meaning in spiritual things. That's why you've heard for a while now a phrase like, I'm spiritual but not religious, you know? And what that means is they believe in spirits, they believe something metaphysical, something that's not tangible, that's not a part of this physical world. But they don't necessarily believe that that spiritual world contains God or that God is there. The reason I think it's hopeful is that whenever people are searching, it suggests the very real possibility that they might find their way to God. And so I think that's a hopeful thing. There's some stuff going on in the science world. I think that's, that's pretty cool. Um, And though many scientists, I mean, you'll pretty much be ostracized if you're a scientist at a research university and you claim to believe in God. But nonetheless, there are many scientists who are finding their way to this place where they simply cannot explain some things that are. And, you know, we won't say a lot about this, uh, but I think it's fascinating to, to think about the, the research that has pointed to, uh, you know, you've heard about the Big Bang for years, you know. And when scientists and then you've got, you know, like scientific philosophers like Richard Dawkins and others, when they talk about Darwinian evolution and they talk about the Big Bang, it's interesting how they always get to a point where they have to say we just, they, they wouldn't use these words, but they have to say something like, "We don't have the answers as to what caused that infinitesimally small, <laughs> con- you know, dense matter that exploded. We we don't know where that came from. You know, we don't we don't know where that came from. But we know that it is. You know, we know that it existed. Um, and and it's leading, I think, to many people who have put their faith in science to come to this realization." that no matter which route we take, we come to a place where we have to accept certain things based on faith. Um, And um, and let me give you a couple of things here that I think are pretty interesting among among younger generations. In in spite of everything that all the statistics we've shared, all the trends, you know, all of that, there there is a survey done, which I think is interesting. So the percentage of, of American adults who feel at least once a week a deep sense of spiritual peace and well-being. Among the younger millennials, among Gen Z, that number is increasing at a faster rate than with any other generation. Those who feel a deep sense of wonder about the universe, that number is also increasing. Um, you, ask, you ask, is there a creator? Our questions have to do with a creator. Since the universe has organization, here's the the question they ask, or the statement they ask, you agree or disagree. Since the universe has organization, I think there is a creator who designed it. Half, approximately half, of non-religious people say yes. I think there is a creator who designed it. Now that's people who are non-religious. There are these things that are going on where, where people are, are looking at the universe, they're being taught from a very young age that science explains it all, right? That Darwinian evolution has all the answers. This is how it is. And yet, even those who do not consider themselves religious say, I'm not buying it, many of them at least. I'm not buying it. There's got to be something. There's just got to be something beyond this because science... It cannot, though it tries, it cannot explain certain things about nature, right? Where, the, where things come from. The same, approximately the same percentage, a little bit less, about 43% agree with this statement. This is non-religious Americans. The fact we exist means someone created us. 43% of non-religious Americans now, about 80%, if you take all Americans, is about 80%, but about 43% of non-religious Americans say yes. About a third of non-religious Americans agree with this statement. Since people have morality, I think there's a creator who defines morality. About two-thirds of all Americans agree with it, but about one-third of non-religious Americans. Now, I mention those just because I want you to be aware of some trends that aren't that aren't negative. I mean, we've talked about a lot of negative ones, you know, outward expressions of religiosity are are going down, people aren't going to church as much, they're not reading their Bible, their sacred text as much. Um, So where does that leave them? For a lot of them, it leaves them with questions. And they're not finding all the answers they want with science. A lot of them aren't. And so, that's where we come in, you know. That's, that's, that's why God puts us, one of the reasons he puts us here is so that we might have conversations and create an environment where people can ask questions and they can find answers about a God who is and a God who creates and a God who exists. All right. There are, we touched on this a little bit, but this will kind of, Help us to segue into a to a more practical thing. There are a couple of th- couple of other things that I think are hopeful, and, and these are really just these are kind of emphases that you see in the world that often framed as negatives, but they aren't necessarily so. Among younger Americans, you see very much of an appreciation and a desire and a valuing of justice, okay? Now, sometimes, you know, you see the phrase social justice. It's come up a lot, especially in the last few years, I guess. And you hear it in conversations about race, about gender, about, uh, I mean, it, it comes into conversations about you know, capitalism and socialism, you know, economic policy, about immigration. So a lot of hot-button political and cultural issues are often considered through that lens of justice, right? And I'm sure you've noticed in the last few years, I mean, you've seen some of the statistics about socialism and how it's... It's an inverse correlation to... As the age of, of the population, if you, if you look at the age of people in America, older people are much less likely to view socialism in any kind of positive way, right? Whereas college age, those in their 20s, teenagers, are much more likely to view socialism in a positive way, right? I mean, you've seen some of that. Um, it, it affects the way we talk about race. It affects the way we talk about gender. And it is this heightened emphasis on and desire for justice, okay? Now, obviously, I think our society gets a lot of things about, some things about justice wrong, you know? But a quest for justice is a very godly thing. I mean, I think you'd agree with that, right? Justice, if you, if you define that term in a biblical sense... It is a good thing. God is a just God, a fair God. He is a God who ultimately, as Christians, we believe this, that that God ultimately rights all wrongs, right? So we believe that that is a nature, a part of God's nature. So when we talk about justice, we're talking about something that's good. I mention that here. Because I I think it's helpful for us to realize there are talking points. There are things that we can talk about and help, whereas people normally view, at least now, many people view justice merely, purely through a secular lens. They view it in secular categories, whether talking about racial justice, gender equality, um, sexual orientation, equality, and so on. They view it merely through a secular lens. And that's dangerous. But what we can do is we can step into these conversations and help people see that God is a God of justice. He's a God who values the individual. All individuals, right? But help people to see who, who view this as a, as a political or cultural, merely a secular issue, for them to see that there's a, there's a higher dimension to this. And a conversation we can have that's a spiritual one. You see, I, I I don't know if I'm I'm getting that across. I'm just suggesting to you that some of the conversations that are happening out there that are very secular, the foundation of them is a spiritual one. It's just people don't see that because so often those conversations are happening happening out there in in uh, you know they're happening in the news and they're happening on social media and they're happening on late night talk show and and in uh, all these places and and people don't realize that. Christians have a worldview that speaks to these various things, including conversations about justice, justice, and equality. But it's just, it's scary, to be honest, when people have all these conversations about justice and equality when they don't bring God into it, because then all sorts of crazy things happen. Um, it, um, it's, it's that whole, uh, we talked about before, that illustration I read somewhere. I don't remember who originated it, but, um, you know, the cut flower civilization, that, that, that God, in many ways, or beliefs about God, formed a basis on which many principles in our society were established. Value of the individual, individualism. That's, you know, other, other cultures that are less connected to a kind of Christian influence. Um, there was very little value of the individual. Was very value of the community, value of, the, of some sort of social group, but not the individual. Christianity, a Judeo-Christian ethic, brings in the value of the individual. So that itself is a very godly thing. But when you, that's the fruit, that's, that's the flower, that's the budding flower here. That's a good thing. But then what happens when you cut the flower off from that which gave it its uh, you know, it's, it's fertilizer, that which produced it. What happens when you cut it off? You have a cut flower civilization. And that is, you've got this fruit up here, individualism, that comes from a Christian foundation. But what happens to a flower that's cut? It looks pretty for a little bit, doesn't it? We all have, at times, cut flowers in the home, right? They, they look nice, and they smell good, and, and then they wither after a few days, right? And that's what happens with societies. The cut flower civilization is that, in many respects, I think uh, um, our, our, our world, our, the world we live in, which is founded in, in some ways on Christian principles, and there are things that we value in our society, value for life, a value for the individual, uh, for freedom of choice, various things that kind of are part of our way of thinking. And yet, when you, when you, when you cut the foundation off, you cut it off from the foundation it has consequences that are dire. You know. I was going somewhere with that. Um, I think just the yeah, it, it, I was I was talking about like, justice and equality, very good things. Uh, the reason we value that, the reason we value um, the the individual and the individual has the right to choose. You know that we we believe in freedom. A lot, of those, a lot of those principles and those values come from uh, the value that we have as individuals created in the image of God, but in many ways, those conversations now about justice and equality have been cut off. You see that, what I'm, what I'm trying to illustrate? So that, that's, that's where we come in, and we try to have conversations with people about seeing, yeah, we too value justice, but, but why do we have, why should we have equality? Why should there be justice? Why is racism wrong? Why do we value the life of the unborn? Why, why, do, why do we believe that women ought to be treated respectfully and fairly? Why do we believe those things? Why do you, you, know, you ask a secular person, why, why is, on what foundation do you argue for, um, that, that racism is wrong or that sexism is wrong? On what foundation do you argue that? I think it's really hard for a purely secular person, without appealing to a higher power that gives us our morality, to make a consistent argument about those things. I really do. I think ultimately that racism and sexism are wrong because we are created in the image of God. And we have value, every person has value. And that the unborn child has value, because he or her is conceived in the image of God. but when you cut that off, then we devalue unborn life. Then we devalue life that's different from us. Then we devalue um, women because men can and have, in many respects, used their power to control and hurt, right? See, that's what happens when you, when you divorce it. So in a lot of respects, we've got some of these values in our culture, but we've forgotten where they come from. And so I, the reason I have some optimism about conversations we can have in our culture is that we agree with many of these values. It's just when they get separated from God, they get distorted, and and they and they you don't have the fuel you, you 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 just it's hard to change people's views about some of these issues when you don't have any real substantial argument to make other than you ought to you ought to feel different than you do you ought to treat people better than you do why if i've got the power to do it why shouldn't i it's hard for just negative consequences to change people's hearts it's hard for it's hard for us to um, have these conversations culturally when we are divorcing the value of the principle from the underlying foundation that made it what it is, let's. Uh, I feel uh, I wanna. I'm hesitating here because I don't know if I wanna go where I wanna go with this right now or wait till next week. Do you have any thoughts? Is any of that making sense? Or Give me some feedback. Is that making sense? Yeah, Ben. flu was right,
1: yeah, Yeah, Yeah. That's a
0: that's a really good thought. Um I know not everybody can hear Ben and folks who are joining us online can't hear Ben's comment. There's a debate between Thomas Warren and Anthony Flew back in the 70s, 80s. I don't remember when it was, probably back in the 80s, and about the existence of God. And one of the arguments Brother Warren made was about the you know, Nuremberg Trials, for example. You know, the Nuremberg Trials, judging the Nazis, those guilty of war crimes. And, um, and their defense was, as you guys may remember, you know, we, we didn't violate German, German law. You know, it, was, it was legal for us to do what we did. And so no other nation has a right to come in and tell us what we did in our own nation was wrong when we weren't violating our laws. And Warren's, you know, the way Warren talked about that was, and I think it's a, it's a powerful argument is that, well, not just Warren, but, but the argument of those prosecuting them at Nuremberg was there is a higher law that transcends German law or any nation's law. You violated that law. And, and, but where does that higher law come from? You know, where, where does it come it comes from? And Warren's argument against flu, uh, who was an atheist at the time, uh, was the existence of that. And C.S. Lewis argues this, and Mere Christianity as well. Uh, but, um, is how, how do you make an argument about this law that transcends? You, you can only do that by appealing to some sort of a higher power who gives... Uh, validity to that ethic, you know, that morality. And then Flew, as, as Ben alluded to, Flew, Anthony Flew, who argued as an ardent atheist back in that debate, uh, he wrote a book. Didn't he write a book, Ben? Do you remember? Uh, he, he became a, a believer in God. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure he, did he, did he come to uh, faith in Christ? I'm, I'm not sure, but anyway, that's interesting. That's an interesting. That's helpful. Uh, I guess the point I'm making that I want you to think about is that there are values in our culture that are being talked about, and they're often divisive, and they're often hot-button issues. But there are ways for Christians to come come alongside secular people and to help them to see that those values actually come from the fact that we are created by a loving God. And for us to help them see that the things that they value so ardently and passionately, passionately, such as justice and equality, that those values don't have meaning apart from their connection to a higher power, God. Um, And so with with things changing, uh, it's not all, It's not all dire, and you know some of the good things that come from uh, increasing secularism as people turn away from God is that they often find that the answers that they really, really want are not there, Uh, and uh, who's going to help them when they reach that point? Uh, We can be we can be those people, (laughs) you know. We can be we can be the people who stand there, and when they've found that the answers simply aren't there, and that they're Searching for something that they had all along, we can be the church can be of people who come along and say let's let's talk about something you're, you're already searching you're searching the occult, you, know, you you're searching for you're looking for ghosts and you, you believe in in, in in magic and all this or you're searching there in tarot cards and all this stuff. Well, have you have you heard about Jesus you know have you heard about Have you heard? You already believe that there's something more. You know, let's talk about God. Let's talk about the gospel. Um, All right, we are uh, essentially out of time. Uh, What I want to do is we're going to do what I promised I would do, and that is let's take everything starting next Wednesday night, everything that we've been talking about, all these aspects of culture, and let's reflect. We'll probably do two more Wednesdays on this. Let's reflect on, okay, so all that's true. All that's true. What do we do now? You know, what, what does it mean to those of you? we got quite a few of you who are parents. What does that mean for you? I want I us to reflect on that, be thinking about that over the next week. And then we will go from there to, okay, what does it mean to the church? What does that say to us, practically speaking, that we need to be thinking about as Christians as far as the Hoover Church of Christ is concerned? How can we be, be a church that makes a difference in whatever way we can you know, to, uh, to think about it? Okay, let's pray and then we will we'll pick, there, pick up right there next Wednesday. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for giving us a chance to talk about this. And as we look around us, we see disturbing trends, Lord. But we know that nothing catches you by surprise. And we know that there are always going to be opportunities for us to talk to people about you and about Christ and about the gospel. And we pray that as more and more people turn away from you and they seek to fill that void, to find answers and meaning and identity and science or culture or whatever it is, that as they find those answers non-existent, that you will turn their hearts back to you and you'll use us to make a difference. Help us as parents and as a congregation to be what you want us to be and to help people to find you